Welcome to the Roadshow. I am Karen Jensen Salisbury, and I'm your host for today. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you are ready for a really great Roadshow. Today, we are excited to be talking with R.T. Kendall. Now, R.T. Kendall was born in Ashland, Kentucky. He got his Master's of Divinity at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and his Ph.D. at Oxford University. And then he became the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, England. Dr. Kendall, welcome to the Roadshow. You honor me to have me. Thank you. Well, it is a blessing to have you. I know you told me to call you RT, so I will try to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, just remember that it stands for Right Theology. That's right. That's a, that's a good name. Okay. RT. Well, listen, I have to admit, I am fascinated by the idea of an American being the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. So give our listeners a little of your background and tell us how in the world you ended up there. Well, um... The answer is that I went to Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, as you pointed out, and I did well academically. They recommended me for Oxford. Oh. And so uh, my family and I, T.R., our son, and Melissa, our daughter, Louise and I, uh, flew to England in 1973, and uh, we were at Oxford three years, and I finished successfully. And while I was waiting for my viva, I was invited to preach at Westminster Chapel in London. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and I had been friends for years, uh, and uh, when he heard me preach, uh, to his surprise, I think, he always thought I would be an academic. As a matter of fact, when someone phoned him from the chapel and said, we've been told we should have an R.T. Kendall, uh, do you know him? And his reply was, oh, yes, theologian, you know, but have him. <laughs> and then when he heard me preach, he called me and he says, you're a born preacher. Your place is not in a seminary or university. Your place is in the pulpit. And he spread that word everywhere. Bottom line, I stayed 25 years. Wow. And that's it. That's how it happened. Now, I know I sound kind of ignorant when I ask this, but Westminster Chapel, is that like where the royal family goes to church? Do you know the queen? Or No, I can't claim that. <laughs> you probably won't want to finish the interview now. <laughs> of course there I are, will. There's Westminster Abbey, that's Church of England. Right. There's Westminster Cathedral, that is Roman Catholic. Westminster Chapel is known as Free Church. Uh, they nickname it the uh Free Church of Nonconformity, like Baptist, Methodist, uh, Westminster Chapel, in fact, oh. for years was uh, part of the Congregational Union. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones took the chapel out of the Union because it went liberal, and it became the chapel just an independent evangelical church. Oh, okay, so it's a whole separate entity. Yes. All right. Well, listen, I also understand, R.T., that you have been married for 60 years. Tell us a little about your wife and your family. Well, she will be rewarded in heaven 10 <laughs> times more than I. Uh, yes, we had our 60th wedding anniversary last June, and uh, I'm a very blessed man. Congratulations. Is she is the best. And what is her name? Louise. Louise. Well, congratulations. That is a, a mark to stand by for sure. And you have uh, how many children? Two children. Actually, uh, my name is Robert Tillman. Uh, my father named me after his favorite preacher, 
Dr. R.T. Williams, who was a general superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, that's my background. Ah. And he went by R.T. And my father named me R.T., uh, Robert Tillman, and that's all I've ever known. And then our son, I named him Robert Tillman, but we called him T.R. for some reason. <laughs> and then our daughter, Melissa, uh, is uh, both, by the way, both our children live near us here in Nashville. And uh, uh, T.R. and Annette have given us three grandsons, uh, none from Melissa so far. Uh, but we're a blessed family to have all of our family uh, just within 45 minutes of where we live. Oh, that is great. Well, tell us a little bit what it was like to live in London and pastor there. Well, I had to pinch myself every time I walked into the pulpit. <laughs> I, ne- I never felt, uh, and I'm not trying to sound humble, I'm just being as candid as I know how. I never felt it was my pulpit. Uh, it was so historic. Uh, yeah. G. Campbell Morgan uh, had been there many years and made the chapel famous in America. And then he chose Martin Lloyd-Jones to succeed him. And Dr. Lloyd-Jones was there 30 years. And uh, so uh, these were the two greats that preceded me. Yes. And I never felt up to their standard. Uh, that said, I lasted 25 years and it was a good ministry. I never felt I came up to the standard of those two men before me. Uh, but God used me a little bit. And uh, God has given me great favor in London. I go back uh, to England every year for six months. Uh, mm-hmm. Not always to Westminster Chapel. A church there called Kensington Temple have me every year. And I preach there. And and help them in their Bible school. And I also go to the chapel every year. Uh, and uh, we love London. It's our second home. And uh, we just love walking around London. And uh, it's uh, where where we spend six months a year and six months here in Nashville. Wow. What, what made you move back to America or, and, you know, back to your roots here? Well, uh, after being there 25 years... Uh, we had a home in Florida, and uh, we built a home there, and that's where we thought we would live, in the Florida Keys. I love to fish. Yeah. I'm a fisherman. Uh, there's a thing I do called bone fishing. Uh, not all your listeners will know what that is. Uh, but we lived in Key Largo uh, for six years, and um, but uh, we felt it was right to move to Nashville. Uh, we had roots here. And I said, if I can live on a lake and near an airport, uh, that would be perfect. So we actually live in Hendersonville, which is 10 miles northeast of Nashville. We live on the same lake Johnny Cash lived on. He lived around the lake. A famous lake. Dolly Parton lives across the lake. Ah. I've never met her. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, that's where we live, uh, literally Hendersonville. And uh, I take my grandsons out on our dock and fish for bluegill and catfish and things like that. It doesn't come up to the standard of Key Largo, but uh, we're happy. And this is where our base. And you travel around the world. In fact, you just got back from China, what, day before yesterday, right? Yeah, uh, that's the thing I never dreamed of. Uh, When we first moved back to America, nobody over here knew me. Uh, you see, I'd been in uh, England for nearly 30 years, wow. 
And uh, but uh, I, I think what made the difference uh, partly, uh, I teamed up with Jack Taylor and Charles Caron, and Jack had a little bit of a following, and and I rode uh, him piggyback, you could say, for several months, and I got to be known uh, through his following. But uh, possibly the big thing was that I met Yasser Arafat uh, a few months after we retired. I happened to be in uh, Israel. Uh, I promised the Brits that I would go back for a tour. Uh, 250 British Christians went to Jerusalem to pray for peace, and uh, they used my name to get some of the people aboard. And so I went back for that. And uh, while I was there... Uh, Canon Andrew White, he was the Archbishop Canterbury's envoy to the Middle East. He had tried for years to get me to come to Israel with him, but I just never got around to it. But when he heard I was in Israel, uh, we got in touch. He phoned me one Tuesday night. I'll never forget it. He said, uh, Yasser Arafat will see you tomorrow in Ramallah at 6 o'clock. Wow. <laughs> Uh, so I called Louise. I said, guess who I'm going to see tomorrow? <laughs> so what I thought would be a 15-minute perfunctory visit turned out to be almost two hours, uh, over an hour and 45 minutes. And uh, for some reason, uh, he and I hit it off. Uh, I just had a love for him. Uh, what you wouldn't know is that uh, years before, I began praying for him every day. You did. I, said to him, Rais, that's the Arabic word for president, that's what you're supposed to call him. I said, Rais, I can't prove this, but I dare say I have prayed for you more than any church leader in the world has prayed for you. And tears filled his eyes. And uh, God gave me great favor with him. And uh, But I will say this, I did all I could uh, to convert him. Uh, that wasn't what I was supposed to do, but I decided <laughs> I would make the most of it. And I, I stressed again and again uh, for those what I thought would be 15 minutes that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Yeah. Because, you know, Islam teaching is that Jesus did not die on right. the cross. In fact, Arafat said to me, he says, we believe that Jesus ascended to heaven. I said, Ra'is, that's not good enough. He died first, yeah. was raised from the dead, and then ascended to heaven. Uh, and I asked you this. I said, the most important question you need to answer is not whether you or the Israelis get Jerusalem, but where will you be 100 years from now? Right. You know, they might have thrown me out. I wouldn't have been surprised. Uh, but would you believe it? I visited him five times, had meals with him. Oh. He loved me. I loved him. And uh, it's a long story, but I've written a book called It Ain't Over Till It's Over, which, by the way, was endorsed by Yogi Berra. Ah. And uh, in that book, I tell why I will not be surprised to see Yasser Arafat in heaven. But anyway, what made me tell you that is because how I got known over here, because I was on TV several times, oh. and uh, that uh, kind of gave me uh, name recognition. And and then after two or three years, I began to get invited to Australia and back to England. And, and now it's turned out 
There's almost no country I haven't been to. I've been to Brazil. I've been to Singapore, Hong Kong. And like you say, uh, just back from Shanghai, I go to the Middle East, Qatar, Qatar, uh, Jerusalem every year. And uh, I'm 83 years old and literally the busiest I've ever been in my life. And I thank God for good health and energy and uh, wonderful family. And so you're talking to a man that has just been blessed by God. And I can tell you now, I don't deserve any of this. I deserve none of this. But God has just chosen to be good to me. And I'm thankful. Wow, that is wonderful and quite a story. Listeners, we are talking to and finding out a little bit of background about Dr. R.T. Kendall. And we're going to take a little break here. But when we come back, I want to talk about your book, R.T., your latest book, Popular in Heaven and Famous in Hell. What a title. Can't wait to hear more about that. Listeners, stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm David Warren here with some exciting news for Oasis listeners. We have a new mobile device app. It's free, easy to download, and lets you enjoy our refreshing music and talk everywhere you go. If you have an Android cell phone, go to the Google Play Store. And if you have an iPhone or iPad, visit the Apple Store and search for Oasis Radio Network. Be an Oasis ambassador and share this news with family and friends around the world. Welcome back to The Roadshow. I'm Karen Jensen Salisbury, and I'm your host for today. We are delighted to have as our special guest, Dr. R.T. Kendall. He's written a new book called Popular in Heaven and Famous in Hell, How to Live a Life that Both Pleases God and Terrifies Satan. Wow. What a great title, R.T. I like it. This is your... Pretty good. It is. Pretty good. This is your... Let me tell you, the origin. Um, Okay. I was... uh, prepared to preach in a particular church, and I thought, oh dear, this sermon is not going to make me popular at this church, but I thought I've got to preach it. But I was talking to an old friend, uh, John Paul Jackson. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a prophetic man. Went to heaven about four years ago, and but he and I were close friends. And I said, John Paul, I don't think this sermon I have... For this particular church is going to make me very popular there. And he retorted, ask whether it will be popular in heaven. Uh-huh. And if it's popular in heaven, go for it. And, oh, that gripped me. Like, I mean, I thought, that's right. I shouldn't try to preach what will make me popular here below. And I, I was just thrilled with that comment. Yeah. And then I remembered a mentor that I had uh, over 60 years ago, he was Rolf Barnard, a Southern Baptist evangelist, one of the old-fashioned hellfire brimstone preachers. And he had a sermon called, The Man Who Was Known in Hell. And it was based upon Acts chapter 19, when the sons of Sceva thought casting out devils was a game. They thought it was fun. And they would go around saying, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out of him. Well, it almost worked. In fact, a demon, in a man, the man leaped on those, and they tore off their clothes, and they went away bleeding. Uh, The demon didn't go, but it shouted out, 
Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? <laughs> and the idea of the sermon was how wonderful to be known in hell. Yeah. And I remember Rolf saying, I want to be known in hell. And I've thought about that over the years. And I can tell you, you can put me under a lie detector. I would rather be famous in hell than famous on this earth. But you know what? I'm not sure they know about me in hell. I'm not sure I've made any impact that's a threat to the devil, but I want to be. And so I've written a book, uh, the first part of the book, What Will Make You Popular in Heaven? And that comes by seeking the honor that comes from God, not from people. And what will make you famous in hell is if you are a soul winner. You win the loss because the devil will be threatened by you. And uh, so when we have the gifts of the Spirit that threaten Satan and have an evangelistic spirit, uh, that's what qualifies you. Uh, and I want to be famous in hell, but that's the idea. Popular in heaven, famous in hell. I noticed that the uh, foreword in your book was, uh, there's a couple of people who wrote forewords, and one was Ruth Graham, who is Billy Graham's daughter. And she says this, I laughed, if you're wanting easy solutions or something to make you comfortable in your Christian life, then put this book down. It's dangerous for those who want to remain in their comfort zones and will shake you to your foundation. So this isn't a uh, pet people kind of a book, right? This is a challenge people kind of a book. Well, I think so. And I was very honored, very honored that, that she would write the foreword. Uh, for some reason, uh, God has given me favor with her, uh, with the Graham family. Uh, and uh, I go to the Cove, uh, that's the Billy Graham Training Center mm -hmm. in Asheville, every year. In fact, I've been there 13 times. I go back this summer wow. for the 14th time. And it's a very great honor. And I got to know... Uh, some of the Graham uh, children, and Ruth uh, uh, claims that I have been a blessing to her over the years. I won't go into that, but... She calls uh, one you one of her five top favorite preachers because you just get right down to the root of things when you preach. You know who the first four are. <laughs> yes. I can tell you it would be Billy, uh, her father, he was alive then when she said that. Yeah. Uh, and there's Anne Graham Lotz, and then there's Franklin Graham, and there's Will Graham. There you go. And you're number five. <laughs> I thought that was sweet of her to say. Yes. Her way of uh, saying I'm her favorite outsider family, but she's being generous. She's a <laughs> lovely lady, and uh, I, I'm grateful that uh, God has given me favor with her. Well, there's another foreword in your book, too, written by Jennifer Larcombe, and she says almost the same thing. If you're looking for a kindly God to make life easy, don't bother opening this book. So apparently it is a challenge. You were going to tell me a little bit about Jennifer. Yes. Uh, she's well-known in England. I'll tell you, her father was Tom Reese, who was a famous evangelist. Uh, and then when she married, uh, her surname being Larcombe after she got married, after a few years, as a Bible teacher, and she's well-known as a Bible teacher, uh, she contracted a virus that left her paralyzed from the waist down. And uh, she continued to teach from a wheelchair uh, all over England. 
I never will forget one evening when I was in Bristol, England. There she was on the front row. I was honored that she would come to hear me preach. And so I got to know her. Uh, and over the years, you can be sure that everybody under the sun who thought they might have a gift of healing uh, would pray for her. I mean, they anointed her with oil. They brought in the big names. They, Everybody prayed for Jennifer Reese Larkham to get healed. Yeah. Well, one day, a young lady, 20 years old, converted three weeks, said, may I pray for you? And she said, of course. Do you know Jennifer Reese Larkham stood up, carried her wheelchair home, fixed her husband's supper, and that's 20-some years ago. That healing is known all over Britain. You can uh, Google her name and get the details. So I just thought you'd like to know the background. The reason I tell her story is because there are those who think, well, how could I ever be famous in hell? I don't have any gift. I'm not known. And I wanted to show that here's a person that's only been saved three weeks. Right. And praise for her, and she's instantly healed. Uh, and uh, so for British readers, I asked her to write a forward. So that's the reason I have two forwards in this book. Yeah, and she says, I can promise you that if you dare to open this book, you'll come away with a far bigger God than you've ever encountered before. So is that what readers will get when they read your book? I hope so. I yes. hope so. That's what she said. I want that to be the case. I, I want that book to stir up people that will make them want to be popular in heaven instead of on earth, and that, that they would be such a threat to Satan that uh, Satan would have their name. And uh, I cannot think of a greater honor than for Satan to be aware of me. Um, but that's a book that I've written to challenge people, and it hasn't been out very long, but we've been getting pretty good feedback from it, and I'm honored that God would use that book. One of the things you say in here is that being popular in heaven is an earthly choice. Tell us what that means. Well, yes. You know, I think if we're all honest, we'd like to be popular. Uh, but the question is, where do you want to be popular? Yeah. Well, there are those who want to name drop. Uh, to say who they know, who they've met. Uh, you know, when we were in high school, uh, it just happens that uh, uh, as I was writing this book, an old friend let me borrow the high school annual from my time of being in high school in 1953, uh, Ashland, Kentucky High School. And I hadn't seen that yearbook for years and years and years, and it was so much fun <laughs> and a bit sobering to look through it because it reminded me that when I was in high school, I was not only a nobody. I mean, people laughed at me. I was brought up Nazarene. They were very strict, uh, couldn't go to movies, couldn't go to dances. And so as far as being popular in high school, I certainly wasn't. I played in the high school band. I played the oboe. And you can find my picture in the annual with the band. Ah. But then there were those students that get a full page or a half page yeah. because they're popular. They're the football players, the basketball right. players, uh, the queen and king of the junior prom and all those things. And uh, 
My name is never there. And then I look at the names of those people who were so popular, you know, 60-some years ago. They were the ones that everybody wanted to be like. Mm -hmm. And I thought, my goodness, I'm so glad that I'm not where they are. Some of them died in disgrace. Most of them are dead, and one or two are still alive. But uh, I wouldn't trade places with any of them, any of them. But at the time, you know, uh, peer pressure is so great, and you, you feel so inferior. And if I could get this over to uh, teenagers, how you're concerned about what people say about you, your friends, you dress like they do, you want to go to places they go to, the day will come that that will mean so little, right. so utterly little. And I wish I could get that over. The choice to be popular in heaven is one that will stand the test of time. And the day will come, you'll be so glad you made that choice to be popular with God, with the angels, with the sainted dead, those that are on the other side cheering us on. Uh, That's where you want to be popular. Yes. And one of your chapters here is called, What is Unpopular? You tell us, what is unpopular in heaven? What is unpopular in heaven? Well... It's when uh, you love the things of this world. Yeah. Uh, you side in with people just because they're famous, and you make the wrong kind of friends. You make the wrong kind of choices. Uh, uh, John said, if you love the world, and you love the things that are in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And what will make you unpopular in heaven is when uh, you live only for the praise of people. Uh, I think a key verse to that book, Popular in Heaven, Famous in Hell, is John five forty four. Now, for some reason, that verse gripped me over 60 years ago. Uh, and it's the question that Jesus asked the Pharisees, He said to them, how can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from the only God? Uh, The reason the Jews missed their Messiah is because it was not on their radar screen to want the honor and praise of God. All they wanted was praise from one another. Uh, They had this consensus. They all looked at each other and said, we agree that this Jesus of Nazareth is not Messiah. Are we all in agreement? Yes, yes, yes. So they didn't want to break ranks. They were afraid of displeasing one another. Uh, And Jesus said to them, surprise, surprise, how can you believe? It's impossible. The reason you don't believe is because all you want is the praise of people. And Uh, This is a verse that's relevant to this very day. Uh, We can miss what God is in today if all we want is the praise of people. And we are looking over our shoulders and say, what will they think if I do this, say this, endorse this move, and so forth. And uh, that will make you unpopular in heaven, I can tell you that, when you live for the praise of people. 
That's yeah. the best way I know to put it, but keep asking more if I haven't been clear. <laughs> no, it's very clear, and I like, I, like you said, I think it's very relevant for today. Listeners, we are talking today with Dr. R.T. Kendall about his book, Popular in Heaven and Famous in Hell. You can find out more about his teachings and his books all on his website, rtkendallministries.com. That's R-T-K-E-N-D-A-L-L ministries.com. R.T., we're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, I want to ask you the question, can we know what's popular in heaven? So, listeners, stay tuned. The Roadshow is a listener favorite, which airs each weekday here on the Oasis Radio Network starting at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Central. The Roadshow also has a great section on our website, oasisnetwork.org. There you'll find audio archives of select past interviews, plus guest lineup and contact information, and links to our Roadshow sponsors and its host. So join us for The Roadshow, whether on your radio, computer, or mobile device at oasisnetwork.org. Welcome back to The Roadshow. I'm your host, Karen Jensen Salisbury, and our very special guest today is author, pastor, speaker, Dr. R.T. Kendall. We're talking about his book, Popular in Heaven, Famous in Hell, How to Live a Life That Both Pleases God and Terrifies Satan. When we left off, R.T., you were answering that question, or you were going to answer that question for us. Can we know what's popular in heaven? Well, here's where you begin, and... Uh... I don't know uh, who your uh, listeners are, but the first question that need to be asked is, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And then uh, answer yes or no, and then that you ask the question, if you stood before God, you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven what would you say? Uh-huh. Well, there's only one answer. And by the way, uh, if I may put it this way, I'm talking to your audience for a moment. Whoever you are listening to me, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And suppose you really stood before God, because you're going to one day, uh-huh. and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you in? And suppose it were the real thing. You'll be alone. You won't have friends to help you. You won't have anybody to whisper the answer. You will have to answer for yourself. There is an answer. There's only one answer. You give the wrong answer. You have to go someplace else. Don't go there. So what would you say to God? What comes to your mind? And I would say to anybody listening to me right now, if it doesn't come into your heart right now, immediately, to say, because Jesus died for me on the cross, or the equivalent, because of the blood of Jesus. If it doesn't come to you to say that, dear friend, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But we can sort that out right now. Is it all right, Karen, if I lead in a prayer? I was going to say, R.T., why don't you just go ahead and lead us in a prayer right now? All right. Whoever you are, if you don't know for sure that you would go to heaven if you died today. Say this from your heart, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. 
I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? If you prayed that prayer and are not ashamed of it, share it with somebody immediately. Uh, Write a letter into this program or share it with friends. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Show that you're not ashamed. And here's the reason I bring all this up. You talk about what will make you popular in heaven. Our Lord said that in the presence of angels, there's rejoicing over one sinner that repents. So if anybody just prayed that prayer... I have to tell you, the angels in heaven rejoice. Yes. And when when you get to heaven, uh, you can ask for a video replay of this moment and see the concert that you started up in heaven. And that's the beginning of being popular in heaven. When you've repented of your sins, you are popular with the angels. Uh, but that's where you begin. But then there are more than angels in heaven, those who have gone on before us, the sainted dead, the spirits of the just made perfect, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, the Apostle Paul, all those in church history. Uh, My mother is there. My father is there. Now, the big question is, do they know what we're doing today? Are they aware of everything going on earth? I don't think we can be sure of the answer to that, but here's what I would say. In Hebrews 12, where the writer just finished talking about all those uh, men and women of faith in Hebrews 11, he talks about the cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us. I think that refers to those in Hebrews chapter 11, and whether they can see what we're doing or not, you can be sure that they would be rooting for us, cheering us on, and we would want to make decisions that would be popular there. Because, you see, in heaven, there is no rebellion. Uh, Take, for example, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, For what it's worth, Louise and I pray the Lord's Prayer together every single day of the year. And by the way, I've written a book on the Lord's Prayer, uh, sentence by sentence. Uh, But in the prayer, it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in heaven, there's no rebellion. The angels don't argue back. Nobody in heaven is arguing back with God. Everybody is totally devoted to the will of God in heaven. And so when we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we want to make sure there's no rebellion in us. So we say, whatever your will is, yes, Lord. And that is what makes you popular in heaven with the angels, with the sainted dead, with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it's the way to live. And it's the way of peace, the way of joy. And it's the first qualification for being famous in hell. There you go. I was just going to say, this book is divided into two two sections, popular in heaven, and the second section is famous in hell. And so how do we get famous in hell? Well, I would like to think we're famous in hell. As I said to you earlier, 
I can't prove that I am. I'd like to be. I can't think of anything more gratifying. Uh, but I need to point out that the word hell here is from the Greek word Tartarus. Mm-hmm. Now, there are three Greek words that translate into our Bibles hell. There's Gehenna, and that refers to hell fire, the lake of fire. There's Hades, that refers to the grave, and sometimes translated hell. But then there's the Greek word Tartarus, only used once. It's in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, when Peter says, If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, the Greek word is Tartarus. Uh, I sometimes think the translator would have been better off never to translate it. Just let it be Tartarus, because when I say famous in hell, that could be misleading. But I have a whole chapter in the book on this uh, Greek word Tartarus, and what it comes to, it's the demonic world. Uh, Satan is not in the lake of fire now. He will be, according to Revelation chapter 20, That is his final destiny. He knows his end. And you remember when Jesus casted out devils, one of them said, Have you come to torment us before our time? And uh, there's a verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, that they know that the time is short. (laughs) By the way, I sometimes say to people, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Exactly knows what's coming. So the point is, Tartarus is the spirit world. It's where the fallen angels are now. Uh, You will know that before the foundation of the world, there was a revolt in heaven. Uh, How this happened, why, uh, that's the mystery of mysteries. We don't try to figure that out. We just believe God's word because we're not going to know how God allowed evil or why he allowed evil until we get to heaven. That's what makes faith faith. Because if you knew the answer to that, you wouldn't need faith. Uh, We trust God and believe him. But what we know is that Satan, known there as Lucifer, son of the morning, recruited every angel, every angel, and... uh, He got a bunch of them to fall with him. We don't know how many. Uh, There's one verse in Revelation chapter 12 that talks about a third of the stars falling. Some think that refers to the number of angels. It's a little bit of speculation. So we don't really know how many angels fell. But they're called fallen angels. And those angels that did not fall, uh, the Apostle Paul calls elect angels. And they're the angels now that worship God in heaven. Uh, Every Christian has an angel with him or her. Uh, Psalm 34, verse 7, uh, the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him. So if you're a saved person, you've got an angel with you now. You're not allowed to see him, because if you saw him, you'd start talking to him. And (laughs) God doesn't want that, and he doesn't want that. Uh, But there are fallen angels. And they live to thwart God's purpose, which they won't successfully do, but they come to uh, oppress people. If they can possess, they will. Uh, This is the origin of demon possession. These are evil spirits that uh, reside in Tartarus, where they're given a limited freedom, a limited freedom. 
but they're in chains of darkness. Uh, the epistle of Jude uh, describes the same thing uh, as in 2 Peter 2. Uh, but anyway, Tartarus is where they are now, and since it's translated hell, then I use that. And being famous in hell really means to be famous in the demonic world where we are such a threat to Satan that the devil is aware of us. And it would be a great honor. I, I would love to find out when I get to heaven that I was famous in hell. Yes, that is just so important for all believers to know that they have that authority in this realm, don't they? Listeners, we are talking with Dr. R.T. Kendall and his newest book, uh, Popular in Heaven, Famous in Hell, How to Live a Life that Both Pleases God and Terrifies Satan. This is uh, your, R.T., this is your 60th book, is that right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of them, in other words. <laughs> sure you've heard of John Stott. I said, John, how many books have you written? And uh, he said, you know, that, that's the, like the sin of David numbering the people. <laughs> okay. I, to be totally honest with you, I don't know how many. I think it's between probably, I'm told, between 60 and 70. I stopped counting because, I, you know, I, I don't want to sound overly humble, but <laughs> neither do I want to boast. So I don't know how to say it, but I'm sure it's... 60 or more is that, pretty sure of that. That is a lot of books. And listeners, if you can find out more about his books or about his ministry at his website, rtkendallministries.com. That's R-T-K-E-N-D-A-L-L ministries.com. R-T, when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but let's take a short break for now, and we'll be right back with more from Dr. R.T. Kendall. I'm David Warren, Program Director at Oasis Radio Network and one of the hosts of this podcast. All of our hosts enjoy hearing from you, our listening family, so drop us a note. Our email address is roadshow at oasisnetwork.org. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you'll receive new episodes on your mobile devices. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to The Roadshow. My name is Karen Jensen Salisbury, and we're so glad that you're listening to The Roadshow today. We have been talking to Dr. R.T. Kendall. And Dr. Kendall, I'm sorry, R.T., <laughs> it's been such an honor to have you with us today. Well, you honor me. You I, honor me. It has been a blessing. Well, listen, I like Chapter 11 in your book, and that's your second um the second part of the book, which is on Famous in Hell, chapter 11 is called The Devil's Worst Nightmare. What is The Devil's Worst Nightmare? <laughs> well, I'll tell you where I got the phrase. I'm not allowed to use uh, refer to the person's name, but it's a woman who is uh, a member of a particular state senate, and, uh, and she uh, ran on a, a party ticket that is normally uh, very much pro-abortion, mm. and uh, but she is is still in that party, but is anti-abortion, and and got voted in, and then now that she's in, uh, she is campaigning against abortion and and taking the views that are very very biblical, and the <laughs> the person that was head of the Senate of that state called her in and said, you're the devil's worst nightmare. <laughs> because 
she was such a disappointment to everybody else in her party that she would uh, take the line. And I thought that was so funny. Uh, and it was a thrilling to think, what an honor. Uh, I, I would love to think I'm the devil's worst nightmare. <laughs> yes. I would think that next to Jesus, the Apostle Paul was the devil's worst nightmare. Uh, Paul having such power over demons. Uh, and I would think uh, the nearest one could come uh, to being the devil's worst nightmare is to be so totally sold out to God yes. that you would do anything God told you to do. You wouldn't argue back. You wouldn't be rebellious. And, uh, and I'll tell you one thing that pleases God. That is, if you are a soul winner. Yeah. That's the big thing. I remember when I first went to Westminster Chapel, I asked this question. How many of you out there have never led a soul to Jesus Christ? Well, I found out uh, later that one of the men, uh, his name was Bob George, he said, I felt so ashamed, Dr. Kendall, when you asked that question. Uh, here I am, 60 years old, and I haven't led anybody to the Lord. Well, here's what happened. A few years later, I invited Arthur Blessett, yes. the man that's carried across around the world, right. to be my guest preacher at Westminster Chapel. And I was so thrilled that I asked him to stay for the whole month of May 1982. And best decision I made in 25 years was to have Arthur Blessed at Westminster Chapel. Well, I just wanted him to preach for us, but he did something that I hadn't planned on. He said, if I'm going to stick around here, we've got to get out on the streets and witness to the lost. There you go. Was, oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. That before, and I wasn't thrilled, but I went along, and uh, as a result of his coming to us, we started what we call Pilot Light Ministry. Uh, I'll tell you what happened. One evening, when about 30 or 40 of us were going out to, to witness, the only way we knew to witness in those days was to go about a mile away from the chapel to a place called Page Street in London. The reason for that is that was the only place where you could knock on the doors and maybe get in because all the luxury apartments are right around Westminster Chapel. Uh, you have to press a buzzer, and, of course, you yeah, don't get in at all. Right. So we would go a mile away. But while the 3040 went ahead of us to uh, Page Street, uh, Arthur and I were the last to leave. And as soon as we come outside the uh, chapel doors, he sees three people standing there by what is known there as the Zebra Crossing. And uh, so... Arthur went right to them. I said, Arthur, this way. we got to go to Page Street. He said, just a minute. He started talking to three people, total strangers, about Jesus. Wow. And they listened. And wow. they listened. And after a few minutes, two of them prayed to receive the Lord. Wow. And I'm thinking, oh, we've got to go to Page Street. Uh, I, I'm ashamed to tell you this, uh, honestly. I, I'm ashamed of myself. But I was looking at my watches. We, we need to go. I was underestimating what Arthur was doing. Yeah. And then after they prayed to receive the Lord, he said, now I want to tell you what to do next. And he took out more literature. Now that you've been saved, here's the way to live. Read your Bible daily. Witness for Christ daily. Your life has changed. Your relationship with other people has changed. And I thought, oh, 
volunteer. Finally, I said, Arthur, we need to go. He saw somebody else coming from the area of Buckingham Palace, and Arthur just went right up to this man and just started talking to him about Jesus. The next thing I know, he's got that man on his knees. Wow. In front of Westminster Chapel, right on the steps. <laughs> wow. And that man prays to receive Jesus. And he looks at Arthur after that man goes on his way. Arthur turns to me and says, Dr. Kendall, I don't know where this Page Street is, but you have the world at your door. (laughs) And I was so convicted and ashamed. And I had what I would call a vision of a pilot light that stays lit in a cooker or an oven uh, never goes out. And I said, Arthur, do you know what? We could do this on the steps of our church. And the pilot light ministry was born. And when Arthur left after that month of May, he goes to another country to carry his cross. We started going out on the streets on our own. And the first Sunday of June, uh, 1982, uh, we started our pilot light ministry. There were six of us that came, six. But one of those was Bob George, the man who felt so ashamed oh, yeah. that he had never led a soul to Christ, and he couldn't wait to start doing it. And in the meantime, we had a program uh, called Evangelism Explosion uh, that was designed by Dr. D. James Kennedy, now in heaven. Uh, Jim Kennedy and I were very good friends. I started Evangelism Explosion at Westminster Chapel. Mr. George took the course. Uh, others took the course. And uh, the last time I talked to Bob George before he died at the age of 80 a few years ago, I said, how many do you reckon you've led to the Lord? And he said, over 500. Oh, good now, answer. Be cynical people say, oh, how many of them are really saved? Well, I don't know, but some of them were. One of them went into the yeah. Anglican ministry. I guess you have to be saved to be an Anglican <laughs> minister. And, yeah. uh, and I've had people come for me from all over England and said, I was converted through your pilot lights. Oh, so maybe not God. all of them were saved. Maybe they were. I'm not the judge. But we presented the gospel to them. We gave them opportunity to pray. And to answer your question, I would love to think that we were being such a threat to the devil that maybe, maybe we got to be known in hell. Oh, I'll tell you one thing might interest you. My wife, Louise, she wasn't sure whether she should be out on the streets with us. She was a bit nervous. She said, you know, Arthur, you don't need to be Arthur Blessed. I said, (laughs) I'm not Arthur, but I I believe we should do this. But one Saturday morning, Louise said, I'm going to be a pilot light today. I said, really? Wow, good. Well, I found out later that she had asked God for a sign whether she should be doing that, whether I was doing the right thing. Well, she was put by St. James Tube Station. That's just a block away from Westminster Chapel. And she's standing there, nervous, holding out tracks. And a man comes up to her with a Che Guevara T-shirt and says, What are you selling? And she's shaking her uh, uh, head and, and her hand nervously and hands him this tract. said, Would you like to read this? And he grabs the tract and reads it. He says, what is Christianity? 
And then he looked at Louise, and tears came to his oh. eyes. He says, I'm a Marxist. I'm an atheist. Oh. But five minutes ago, I was in a church, and I said, God, if you're there, let me run into somebody that believes in you. Ah, oh, amazing. She, he runs into Louise, and... You know, as a double witness, now she knows I'm doing the right thing. Uh-huh. And this man, uh, she just gave him a trek because he had to go. And uh, But uh, then here's the thing. She started coming out, and a man that she led to the Lord came back a week later. And uh, I said to him, well, look, Tony, well, you were saved last week. What are you doing here? Well, he said to me, I need to talk to you. I said, what is it? He said, I've been to a black mass. And inside my stomach, it's like razor blades. And I'm in miserable pain. Which I need help. Well, I can tell you something now. It's something I learned from Martin Lloyd-Jones, the man who put me in Westminster Chapel. He said, when you come upon a person who is demon-possessed, what you need to do is to start saying, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. I kept doing that. And with Tony, that was his name, he began to growl. And and uh, a look of fear came on his face. And I just said, in the name of Jesus, come out of him and go to the place of your appointment and never return. That man went limp. I had to physically help him to a place to be seated. Five minutes later, he came back out, color in his face, smile on his face. He said, I don't know what you did, but I sure feel good inside. Praise God. That was my only example, or, or let's say that my only experience of casting out a demon, but that happened. And uh, so that kind of got me known in hell, I think. Yes, yes. So, That is wonderful, wonderful. Well, listeners, we've been talking today to Dr. R.T. Kendall. We've been talking about his latest book, Popular in Heaven and Famous in Hell. You can find out more about R.T. Kendall on his website at rtkendallministries.com. That's R-T-K-E-N-D-A-L-L-Ministries.com. And Dr. Kendall, thank you so much for being on the roadshow today. Well, you honor me. I hope I've answered everything you wanted to ask and have made some sense. You have, and it has been a blessing. Listeners, thank you for being with us today. On behalf of the Oasis Network, I'm Karen Jensen Salisbury with my very special guest, Dr. R.T. Kendall, saying God bless you. Thanks for listening. It's been another great roadshow. You've been listening to The Roadshow. If you'd like to write to us, here's our address, The Roadshow. P.O. Box 1924, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74101. Our email address is roadshow at oasisnetwork.org. The views of today's guest aren't necessarily those of this station, but we do appreciate and thank our guest for spending this time with us. The Roadshow, an Oasis Network presentation.